Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, we are going to be talking about the March for Science today. Tens of thousands of people uh, turned out in uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, also uh, over uh, many areas of the United States, including several cities in Utah. And uh, here's what uh, Robert Proctor, professor of history of science at Stanford University, said. He's quoted in the Washington Post. The march is pretty unprecedented in terms of scale and breadth, scientific communities involved. It does recall physicians for social responsibility in various scientific groups against nuclear war in the Reagan era. And uh, that, uh, I think, is the most recent precedent, he said. But uh, Professor Proctor went on to say, but it's even broader in the sense that there's a broader perception of a massive attack on sacred notions of truth that are sacred to the scientific community. We're going to talk about uh, the March for Science and related issues. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if uh, you participated uh, or perhaps uh, you support or do not support the March for Science, we'd love to hear from you. The email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And our Twitter, you could tweet at us, at upraxcess is our Twitter account, at upraxcess. And we have with us uh, in studio uh, Pat Bohm Trussell, who is a, uh, a citizen with an interest in science. Uh, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having us. Uh, we're also joined by Rob Davies, physicist and educator. Welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tom. And uh, with us is Paul Rogers, uh, director of the Western Aspen Alliance at Utah State University. Welcome back. Good morning, and thanks for having us. Let me start with you, uh, Paul. I understand you're, you were one of the organizers of the Logan March. Uh, sort of uh, late in coming. I got involved uh, later on and just uh, helped corral people a little and keep them moving on the march itself. And then I uh, was one of the speakers as well at the uh, Logan March for Science. Okay. What got you involved? Why did you want to help organize this march? Well, uh, it, with me, it goes back quite a ways. There's a passion for translating science, which can often be very technical and very uh, a very small group of people you know, qualified scientists, but translating that into something that's uh, that's um, useful to the public in general. And so I, I have a real passion for that, and I'm, I'm uh, sampling several avenues for for uh, for doing that. Uh, and this is this is one of those times where the issue I think has become more acute. And so uh, I think the rallying cry is getting folks out of the lab and uh, into the public to talk about their science, because almost all forms of science have something important to tell the public. Hmm. Rob Davies, you were, uh, I think, one of the speakers at the Park City March. Uh, why did you get involved? Uh, well, s certainly, I'll just echo Paul's comments. This is a, a, a very intense interest of mine and something I've been involved in for the last 10 years is uh, public interest science communication. Uh, the, the organizers for the Park City March called a couple of months ago. Uh, they were organizing a program in addition to the march, a number of speakers, uh, and, and asked if I would speak uh, there. So I was very happy to go down. If Logan, if I'd known about Logan a little bit sooner, I would have I would have marched here, but I didn't know about it, so I went to Park City. Hmm. Pat Baumtrosel, interested citizen. Uh, I think science is not. I think you have a background in science, a, a degree in science, but yeah, I have a degree in science and a degree in literature. And that when I put the two things together. Great things happen as far as uh, communicating with people. Uh, that's why I wanted to go to this march. Uh, I wanted to see, I wanted to show, be part of showing um, the rest of the world how important it is, how mm. important science is, and how important that method of inquiry is. Okay. Let me, I want to go around the table, and uh, j before we jump into some of the issues, I just want to get the, your experience. So, uh, Pat, what uh, what was your experience? You, mar you were at the March in Logan. Yes, I was at the March in Logan, and uh, we started from the uh, old courthouse, and it was... Uh, it was a really vibrant experience, uh, lots and lots of people, more people than I've seen at almost any other march, I think, in, that I've ever been to or seen, heard about. Lots of kids, uh, lots of students, um, just regular citizens, and many, many wonderful signs. Uh, that was probably my favorite part, along with the speakers. Um, I think maybe one of my favorites was... Uh, 
act like a proton, stay positive. Mm. A, a lot of nerd jokes, which uh, really right. were very appealing. Right. <laughs> so, so a lot of nerds out there, I guess, which you know, is not a, not a bad thing. Uh, so, uh, Paul Rogers, what, what was your experience? Uh, yeah, what stood I'll, out to you? Also very positive, and I want to I come back with one of my favorite signs, which I heard uh, on the radio was also um, uh, used in other places around the world, but uh, it's a call and reply. What do we want? Science, and when do we want it? And the nerdy response is after peer review. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought that was great, but uh, I was very invigorated uh, by the crowd, the people, the diversity that Pat referred to in the crowd. And so I think that uh, hopefully for a lot of scientists, it will um, compel them to uh, try taking some of their messages to new venues, to different venues, instead of the narrower ones that we often publish and speak in. Hmm. Rob Davies, uh, your experience at the March in Park City. Well, it was a, it was a great turnout, uh, maybe three or 400 people, 8 o'clock on a, on a very brisk Saturday morning uh, in Park City. And you know it was uh, it was it was incredibly festive, uh, I would say, but but also serious. And and I think people were feeling um, incredibly pleased to be standing in a very large group of people that are sharing their concerns and their fears, which which really certainly have arisen, I think, from a feeling that that evidence based policy making is taking a back seat. And so certainly. I would say that the the spirit there and the signs and everything was was a support for science, but it was it was a support for science in a context which is a call for evidence based policy making mm -hmm. and and I think a lot of people are are feeling worried about that and just coming together in a community uh, and and seeing lots of other people feel that too was was helpful for many of us. Mm -hmm. Let me start, Rob Davies, with with you with this question. Um, there has been some debate in the scientific community over. You know, we're scientists. We shouldn't get involved in the political sphere. Um, but I, I think the premise behind the overall March for Science, if you go to their national website, is uh, essentially they don't use these words. The, the, that horse has left the barn. We we need to get involved. There's an attack on evidence-based policymaking. Well, certainly, I think, um, and there are there are cases to be made on either side. There are certainly concerns. I think sometimes scientists feel that participating in something that has any kind of overtone of political, overtly political, maybe um, they risk their credibility. There's actually been some scientific study on this very thing, and, and it turns out the public does not view scientists as losing their credibility when they get involved in public policy, or at least not necessarily. So... Um, and then there's the side, the other side that, uh, you know, as in a complex society, when we face complicated questions, we rely on expertise. And this is a place where knowledge matters. And, you know, I, I had, I, I blew out a disc in my back last summer and I went and got an MRI at some point. And these are some pretty complex, uh, imaging systems. And I'm just imagining what it would have been if the radiologist had just handed me my stack of MRI imagery and said, well, here you go. What would you like us to do? You know, we need as a society, um, the expert, uh, the experts in the different fields to help us put the information into context and to understand it. And if scientists don't do that, if we don't help the public understand complex information, then other people who don't understand it will step in to fill the void, and that's what's been happening. So. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I want to make a point about that, and, and it was also a point that was raised uh, uh, at several March for Sciences, and it's this critical difference, in, in my opinion, uh, in many people's opinion, between political and partisan. And in my view, or in a broader view, political just means being involved in the political process, which I think it's incumbent upon every single citizen to do. Uh, so as scientists, we're very familiar with the concept of bias. So we're, we can present information, uh, as Rob said, uh, but we don't have to do it in a partisan way. We're not saying choose candidate A or over candidate B necessarily, but we can say the science is giving us these messages, and it's very important that we get that information to uh, perhaps politicians or policymakers, uh, and we're familiar with those boundaries. Um, I believe that many scientists and many institutional structures have sort of taken us out of the game a little bit for fear of appearing partisan, and I believe it's okay to be political. Mm. Okay. What do you think on this question, uh, Pat Bohm, Charles Hull? Uh, do you, for Beginning with the march in Logan, did you, I guess, I, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't participate as a partisan. What no, it, this, this wasn't a political statement on my part. It was to support the method of inquiry that is 
uh, science itself. It's Science is a way of knowing about the world and finding out about the world. And the more people understand that, the the less quarrel there can be about, about its value. Um, and I also think that um, supporting uh, fact-based uh, decision-making is is inherent in in our educational system so it it has deep roots hmm. um rob davies uh, in a world where we can't agree on the facts uh, you know <coughs> science potentially gets sucked into a political and even a, a partisan debate doesn't it well you know politics is how we uh, as a as a society collectively address risk and uh, so many of the risks we are facing as a society now, uh, we are made aware of through science. Uh, certainly what uh, large, well, the entire scientific community is cate- categorizing as existential risks now. We've got uh, human-induced climate change that is accelerating, uh, for which the risks are extreme for human society, uh, and for which the scientific con- uh, consensus is extremely robust. We've got uh, an unprecedented extinction rate uh, ongoing across the planet. The, ra- the rate of biodiversity loss is enormous. We're losing huge syst- uh, swaths of our life support system. Uh, these are this is knowledge that comes to us through science, and we can't as a society decide how to move forward and address these risks unless we can get on the same page with the basic knowledge. And a quick example, you know, last year uh, there was a Zika outbreak in Miami, and uh, politicians, business leaders, uh, uh, community leaders got together and tried to decide what to do. There were you could spray for mosquitoes, you could have a quarantine. Um, lots of public information and education, and they got together. They made some hard choices that some people didn't like about how to deal with that outbreak but, but felt were necessary. But nobody showed up to those meetings and said, you know, Zika, it's, it's not a thing. It's not a virus. It's not a disease, or it's not, it's not transmitted by mosquitoes. They started from a base level of knowledge and then worked forward to figure out how to address that risk. And that's what we need to do with all, all kinds of things in our society, and that, I think, is what many of us uh, see uh, and not just in the last six months, uh, but but over the last several decades, uh, going away in our society is this notion of alternative facts and and just different information. So this is a I think a reaffirmation of knowledge matters, evidence based information matters, and we can get on the same page with that and then go forward with t- discussing how we address c- those risks that the knowledge is telling us about. Paul Rogers, uh, let me uh, quote this uh, Robert Proctor, again, professor of history of science at Stanford University. I'm quoting from the Washington Post. This is even broader. He says you have to go back to maybe uh, physicians for social responsibility for scientific groups against nuclear war in the Reagan area. But he says this is even broader in the sense that there is a broader perception of a massive attack on sacred notions of truth that are sacred to the scientific community. Do you see that? And is that a motivation for you to... Organize the march. It's certainly of concern. Uh, taking off on what um, Rob said is, uh, and it's this idea that's uh, that is really the march for science. The the reason for it is the idea of that <clears throat> if scientists don't speak out, then there's a void, and we've seen uh, in this current uh, time that uh, people can uh, use whatever uh, reasoning they want, faith or or magic or just opinion, to really control our policies. So where do we go for some some sort of neutral, non-biased information? And I couldn't agree with the quote more. Uh, and 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 we provide a language, really. Um, a different example would be if I came over and said, you know, we don't believe in French, or I don't believe in uh, in music, the, the way music's written. Science provides a language for conversation. It's a it's it's not inherently biased or partisan. And it's a way for us to discuss things in an intelligent way. And, and incredible amounts of knowledge and energy go into that, uh, not to, um, to put across some political point, but to inform our world. And, and ultimately, uh, what, what drives my passions is to live better in this world and more sustainably. Hmm. Pat Bohm-Troso, so you, you marched as a citizen, right, not as a scientist. Uh, interested in your perspective on this. As scientists, uh, and we've heard from... Rob Davies and Paul Rogers, they, as scientists, want to get out and, and they need to be involved. What, From a point of view of a citizen, what, what do you think? What I think about is the future of the planet for my children, perhaps their children, uh, 
the future generations. And I think that when we use evidence-based knowledge to make decisions, we have a much better chance of making this a good, sustainable uh, way living on the planet for for the the whole of po- our population, mm. the whole of the world's population. If you just joined us, we're uh, talking about the March for Science. We're asking you if you uh, marched, and what was your experience, and uh, what do you think about uh, these issues? What do you think about uh, Professor Proctor's uh, statement? Broader uh, perception of massive attack on sacred notions of truth. They're sacred to the scientific community. In a world of alternative facts, uh, where does science uh, fit in? And uh, I guess critically, and we'll talk about this, funding, right? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big a big issue. Um, so we're talking about this issue, and you can join this conversation. Hope that you will. Love to get your experience and your point of view. Email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And uh, you can use Twitter to get a comment to us. Our uh, account, our handle is at UPR Access. Um, we have with us Pat Baumtrosel, uh, an interested citizen, uh, Paul Rogers, who's director of the Western Aspen Alliance at USU, Robert Davies, who's physicist and uh, educator. A little bit later, we'll be joined by Rob uh, Gillies. Um, so let me turn to uh, Rob Davies. Is is the elephant in the room here and at the, at the march? Is it climate change? There's, it's, it's been heavily politicized, at least by part of the political spectrum. And uh, even though uh, the vast majority, well, that, you know, almost all scientists say that there is a human-caused climate change, there's a segment of the population, when you take polls, who say that I don't believe it. Well, certainly uh, in, in, the, in the coverage I saw of the March for Science and the lead-up to it in, in the march I participated in, so in uh, Park City, uh, climate change was was forefront on on everyone's mind, and it's probably the the single biggest and most acute example of this um, denial of knowledge and a refusal to just accept basic knowledge, very well established scientifically, and move forward with the necessary and difficult discussions on on how to meet the the challenges that this knowledge poses in front of us. But you know, I, I would say um, what has maybe triggered the the march that's been going on for a couple of decades. You know, the the climate change denial. But now we have um, at the policy level, at the federal level, uh, certainly uh, uh, huge pushes to raise ozone levels in our lungs, to uh, along with asbestos, to eliminate lead paint protections for children, dismantling protections uh, against catastrophic chemical leaks. Reintroducing a group of pesticides that come with uh, that have been connected to brain damage in in children, and then of course, the subsidies for coal, allowing coal companies to dump waste in our waterways, drilling companies to spew methane into the atmosphere. The list goes on. Withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, so it's gone from you know sort of a uh, a low grade background uh, refusal to this this wholesale rejection of, as your quote earlier said, of of what we've seen as truth, and I think that's what's really mobilized the um, the movement that we're seeing now. That that really was, and I agree also with the quote, unprecedented. Mm. Paul Rogers, do you do you see the genesis of this as the climate climate change? Is, is there potential for? Do you see movement? To, uh, other areas of science being politicized? Uh, most certainly. Um, a lot of words in the political realm, such as regulation, have been given a bad name. Uh, when, when, when scientists hear something like a 33% cut in the EPA's budget, that sh- shakes the earth under us. Even if I don't directly deal with the EPA, uh, something that Pat talked about is to the human side of this, talking about my children and their children. Um, these regulations um, are informed by massive amounts of science, um, and they're good for us. They're good for society, as I referred to earlier. Um, they sometimes are difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to construct regulations. Maybe I get restricted in my daily habits a little bit. But if I know if it's informed by solid science and it's going to affect my progeny down the line and my community where I sit here in in Cache Valley, we have very big issues with air quality, and we've recently found out how that's tied to uh, climate change. These things are really important. But we we sometimes you know uh, use a words uh, very politically charged words like regulation and, and sort of paint it as a bad thing, 
And this is where we can fall back on science and saying, no, we have these studies that back, you know, uh, that these chemicals that are in our air, our water, our land are bad for us. And these are good things. And in the political realm now, it's quite clear in the in the current um, administration that that um, there's overrepresentation by commercial interests uh, who don't want to be regulated, but they're trying to convince a society that regulation is a bad word. Uh, but I, I couldn't um, disagree more with that. But it's so pro- so important for me to know that that's backed by solid information, solid science, that it ultimately is going to be good for me, my community, and this earth. Mm. And if I could just interject, yes. an, an, another word for regulation in this context, I think, is protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are protections that, uh, and as as Paul said. You know, uh, business and corporate interests are heavily represented in our political process right now through their lobbying organizations. So who represents uh, the common citizen, the people? And so we've set up institutions like the EPA to do that. Hmm. And uh, so then that message can be reinforced by scientists, I suppose, if you... Well, as Paul just said... Take uh, to the streets. Not simply reinforced, but utterly founded upon hmm. science, Yeah. Yeah. Pat Bontroso, I mean, a similar question, is is this underpinning all this, is the climate change debate, or is there are there other parts of this that, that make you want to march for science? I, um, I think that uh, what really underpins uh, this concern is, oh, okay, so astronomer uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said something very quotable. He said, uh, science is true whether you believe it or not. And because the way you get to uh, a a fact is is by evidence and testing and it's repeated again and again until statistically it means that you you have to uh be an irrational person not to believe this um not to accept it as a fact and so science is a, a way to know about our world and i don't think it's being taught uh especially uh, well, in schools, not that, that I'm not blaming teachers. I'm saying that uh, that our educational system. Um, it, so it's not about it's not about a political uh, th- a politicized fact like climate change. It's about more basic things in our society, and uh, I, I hope that uh, that we can make some progress on that and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering, Tom, yeah. if I could do, uh, Pat just said something I think is hugely important in this notion of, of education and how we teach it. And something I notice a lot, actually, is that I think um, children, I certainly uh, deal with high school students uh, a fair bit and certainly university students, uh, certainly not children. But what I find is they seem to get that we have these big issues uh, and and backed by solid science. But when they look around, what they see uh, are the adults in their lives not behaving like it. And it's very confusing. And um, and I think part of the idea of this march is to start to make clear, look, it has now become necessary for us to become very overt in, in standing up for established knowledge and the process for getting that knowledge and, and not being ashamed about it and not being afraid that it's going to appear quote, political, because because unless we do, uh, we risk founding an entire pathway for our nation that is just treats solid information that is evidence-based as just another opinion, and that just isn't going to work out for us in the mm-hmm. long run. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll uh, continue with Pat Baumtrosel, interested uh, citizen who marched uh, in Logan on Saturday, Paul Rogers, director of the Western uh, Aspen Alliance at USU, one of the organizers of the Logan March, and uh, Robert Davies, physicist and educator. He was one of the speakers at the Park City March. All of these happening on uh, Saturday. Uh, tens of thousands of people marched for science around the country. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Um, and uh, and uh, so we, we'll, we're talking about it. Did you march? And uh, what was your experience? And what are your opinions on some of the issues that we've been uh, talking about uh, today? Uh, following the break, I want to get into messaging. Um, here is uh, a headline to an article um, by a gentleman in CNET.com. I went to the March for Science, and the signs are troubling, he said. Thousands of people marched, but was there a message that will persuade the broad masses? 
And so I want to talk about messaging. That's, I think, critical. Um, I think for our NPR, UPR audience, a lot of people will have been nodding their heads at our at the opinions expressed by my three guests here. Uh, are we preaching to the choir? Did the marches preach to the choir? And uh, do we need to go broader? And if so, how? So we'll talk about that and much more when we come back following this break. This is Science by the Slice. Life-threatening infection is an ominous hazard hanging over every invasive medical procedure. USU biologist Randy Lewis and students are investigating use of medical implants made from synthetic spider silk to reduce infection risk. The researchers say silk-based gels, adhesives, and coatings made from spider protein and water don't cause an immune response or inflammation. They're also strong and moisture-resistant. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu slash science. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and support for science reporting on Utah Public Radio comes from the Utah State University Ecology Center, providing training opportunities for today's science communicators, one story at a time, and Colgan Water of Logan, serving Cache Valley for more than 66 years, providing Colgan bottled water, whole home systems, Soft and conditioned water. Hey, Colgan man. Service from the man in blue. Details at coliganlogan.com. Turn down. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. And I'm joined by several people who participated in the March for Science. We're asking you, did you? Did you participate in the March for Science? Happened all over the country on Saturday. And we have with us one of the organizers of the uh, Logan March, the director of the Western Aspen Alliance at USU, Paul Rogers. We have Pat Bohm Trussell, who is an interested citizen, marched in uh, Logan. Robert Davies, physicist and educator, who is one of the speakers in uh, Park City. And Rob Gillies, director of the uh, Climate Center at Utah State uh, University. Um, and so we welcome in uh, now uh, Dr. Gillies. Um, did you participate in one of the marches? <laughs> I have to say I did not. <laughs> we need to get your, uh, your, your microphone. Uh, let let me turn to until yeah there we go you can you can, can borrow Rob's I can squeeze over here okay. to Rob to thank you a little bit too close for comfort but that's okay <laughs> okay <laughs> so yes Tom I did not participate I was actually an EMT at the Salt Lake City Marathon oh you, oh, you were okay. so I was doing that instead right. so otherwise I would have okay I think we've got your microphone uh, set now okay uh, yes that sounds that sounds much better so you were you were uh, you were in support. Oh, definitely, and my wife was there with her banner that said, uh, Dames Dig Data. <laughs> <laughs> Dames Dig Data, very good. So what was your experience at the Salt Lake March? Uh, well, I wasn't at the Salt Lake no, March. Which, which March? I was at the marathon down uh, in Salt Lake. Oh, the, mar the marathon. I, I, right. I'm, uh, I've totally uh, missed it. Uh, but your wife was there with a, with a message. She was. Okay. So she was there with uh, Dames Dig Data and uh, met many cohorts, so to speak, you know, who were all there. She kept sending uh, photographs of the Logan March to me as I was sitting at the sidelines in the marathon. Yeah. So uh, what's your overall thought, your general impression of the, the marches for science that happened on Saturday? Well, it's interesting because, you know, marches are happening all over the country, in fact, all over the world from various perspectives where citizens are feeling somewhat aggrieved by the political process. And that's certainly been a first uh, in my time in the U.S. You know, I've been here over 25 years, and I've never, uh, at least in my recollection, <coughs> I just came from class, so mm. my voice is a little hoarse. So in my recollection, I've not seen such uh, marches uh, to the extent that we've seen in the last three months. Mm. What do you see is the, 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 the impetus behind the need for the, the marches? What's, what, what's going on? Well, I think it's, kind of a, it's obviously very complex. And, uh, you know, 
I find it myself that in terms of signs, uh, so if I go to the doctor, for example, I still go to the web and look up, you know, information. And of course, it's very easy to become really confused uh, with that bulk of information, especially then when you go to your doctor uh, or physician and he or she says this, 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 and you start to question it because you've been overloaded with information of which some might be disinformation. And so for the general public, I can see, you know, this is just a very, very, well, it's a new scenario, right? I mean, the information age is a new scenario, and it allows uh, access of trolls and all those kinds of things. Um, and I think, you know, we're living in a different information age world that uh, we haven't all come to cope with just yet. Hmm. So before the break, I, I promised that we'd, uh, we would uh, talk about messaging. Um, so the, the headline here is provocative headline. Uh, Chris uh, Matsuwick in uh, writing CNET.com said, I went to the March for Science, and the signs were troubling. Uh, thousands of people marched, but was there a message that would persuade the broad masses? And then he goes on to say, Donald Trump has shown how teeny sound bites can turn into earfuls. Truth just doesn't cut it anymore, he says. You have to have short, memorable phrases that stir emotions, make excellent Twitter hashtags. Build that wall, fake news, make America great again. Might be full of wind, but they move and stir many branches of society. Uh, so then he goes on to quote some uh, some signs that he uh, that he that he saw at the march in San Francisco. I, I love all of these. Um, Copernicus died for your sins. I mean that's you know that's that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> science gives me a hadron. Uh, girls just want to have funding. Uh, we mentioned one that was a favorite of I think all of ours. What do we want? Uh, Evidence-based science. When do we want it? Um, after, after peer, peer review, 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 right? <laughs> which is which is which is wonderful, right? Um, but is that going to persuade anybody who's not already persuaded? In other words, are we preaching to the choir here? Well, go ahead. Uh, uh, just briefly, I'd simply say, and I don't know who said this, but I, I love it because I hear this phrase quite a lot. Um, you might be preaching to the choir, but uh, the reason to preach to the choir is to get them to sing. Um, and so I think what we've got is a, a lot of people who uh, have been concerned about this going by the wayside of, of evidence-based policymaking for some time, and it's it's now come to a head, and and seeing feeling like they're a part of a big community, I think can make people feel like they're not crazy. I mentioned earlier uh, young people who feel like we have these problems but not seeing the adults in their lives behave uh, that way, and, and I think one of the benefits of something like this is a is a big shout that says, "Look, we're here. We've been fairly quiet for for a long time now, but we are here." And and I think that gives people that that buoys people's uh, uh, perceptions that yes, there is something amiss here, and I'm not crazy, and a lot of other people see it too. So I think that's very valuable. We do have a caller. We'll go to uh, Paul Rogers. I wanted to say something like this, and we'll go to uh, yeah, Tyler. Yeah, just uh, on the uh, cue of messaging, um, we've been dancing around it for a while here. <clears throat> Excuse me. But but really, that science is for society, and that sometimes gets lost in all of the uh, of all the uh, um, talk going back and forth, these simple phrases that are easy to absorb, uh, but don't really get us anywhere, this idea of fake news and, and just tell me what I want to hear. But that science is for society is a key message there. And then, as, as Rob alluded to, empowering scientists, um, the v actual phrasing was very important in this. It wasn't a march for scientists, and it wasn't a science march. It was a march for science, and, and this is why it's so important that citizens are out there. At the Logan March, we had uh, posters that were crafted for um, translating information uh, from a very technical realm to average citizens. And, and I'm going to keep harping on that topic because mm -hmm. that is a real uh, messaging point of this March for Science, not only em empowering those who may be quiet and getting their voices into the political realm, but also um, communicating uh, that science to uh, people that maybe don't normally think about it, but it's in their, da in their daily lives. Mm. We continue this, uh, the topic, with uh, Tyler in, in Logan, who has called us. Uh, Tyler, thanks for calling. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hey, thanks, everybody. Enjoying the conversation. And my comment or question is germane to the topic of messaging. I, I, I saw the marchers in Logan on Saturday, I was driving along 400 North when they were coming down from the university, and it was great to see a, a good crowd. And later that day, I was talking to an older gentleman, 
after a round of golf, and he made a comment about, did you see the snowflakes protesting something today? And I, I said, well, for, first I said the snowflakes, and he's obviously he's using that's a dog whistle word from uh, Trump supporters. But I, I told him it was a protest or it was a march in support of science, and he kind of guffawed at the, the idea. And I'm wondering from a messaging standpoint, my first reaction was to call him an idiot and tell him that it's a you know, good cause or a good reason that they're marching. But that's not effective for us. So how do we as supporters of science and supporters of a, a reality-based world open our hearts in a way that we can try to get the, the opposition or the people who are a little bit more hardened towards these, these more open-minded ideals to at least be receptive to some baseline of support that we live in a world that's based on science and based on you know, reality and facts and, and so forth. And I just wanted to consider that. appreciate the conversation, and have a great day. Okay, thanks, Tyler. Great question. Who wants to tackle that first? We live in a world that is that is powered by science. Our cell phones, our, uh, our TVs, uh, our cars, the air we breathe is is uh, you know filtered, and um, it's impossible to get away from science. And uh, I loved one of the signs that I saw on the march that said, "Got plague? Me neither. Thank science." Mm. That puts it in a in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of the um, of the advantages of our society now are are because scientists have done the work. Mm. I do think you know at least some Trump supporters, many Trump supporters, would probably put this march in in the same box that they would put uh, you know many of the other marches, and um, and so I wonder. Um, the slogans, uh, those who don't support Trump, uh, you know, found them too simplistic and, and even idiotic. You know, make America great again. Uh, build that wall. But it was effective on some level, right? He's now president, and, and he now uh, controls at least one of the levers of power with the budget. And his proposed budget would would slash EPA and would, you know, so it has real-world effects. The, the messaging has real-world effects. So... Well, to the caller's question about messaging to to this this deep <coughs> polarization and the politicization that has taken over, um, it, it's it's kind of the question of our day. And, and Rob Gillis brought this up a few minutes ago. We're we're exposed to such messaging through all kinds of of avenues: Facebook, you know, social media, Facebook, the internet, uh, cable news, um, talk radio. That's all very tailored now to very specific viewpoints. Um, I wish I had an answer for the caller. Uh, There are a few thoughts, though. And um, first of all, let me just say that snowflakes are amazing. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you've ever looked at one under a microscope, these things self-assemble from nothing. Um, And when you pile them all together, uh, the avalanches can be really quite, uh, quite impressively powerful. So, so I'm okay with snowflakes. Um, The... um, I, th- I think far more people, if, if, we, if we simply talk about things that we can agree with, um, should we have protections for our, uh, for our life support system? I, I think it's hard to make a case for asbestos in the air. Um, and if we can keep our conversations as much as possible to what is it we think is a good idea? And then are, on the political side, are the people who are making the policies adhering to those, um, those common values, you know, valuing our clean air and our clean water. It's all been said before, but I, I think trying not to respond to the dog whistle uh, comments and stay focused on the, on the sort of fact-based comments that get made and just explore those um, as rational as we can is good, is is one approach. And then the final thing I would say is that I don't really feel like the game at this point in moving forward with science-based policy is is convincing those who simply uh, are not interested in having this discussion. I think it's more in uh, motivating and energizing those people who feel like we do have these issues, but maybe aren't aren't yet uh, quite engaged at it. There's, If you look at the polling, there's far more of that flavor than the other. Hmm. Rob Gillies, uh, you've been involved in, in uh, you know, talking about climate science, for example, mm-hmm. to somewhat hostile audiences, right? Mm-hmm. Utah legislature, uh, elements of the Utah legislature. <laughs> what would you say about messaging, uh, quote-unquote, across the aisle? 
Well, it actually all comes down to the psychology of the individuals or the groups, actually. You know, whether they're participating in sort of de-individualization or whether they're participating in groupthink or something like that. And, of course, it comes down to ideology, in many cases, economics, for example. And you sort of have to be able to appreciate the sort of psychology of the group that you're dealing with. And that actually is very difficult unless you're trained as a psychologist, right? So initially, I was not, I didn't have any courses in psychology or anything like that. So I just presented the science as best I could and then defended the questions based upon the scientific knowledge that I have. But I often wonder that uh, sort of uh, as meteorologists, uh, we have an interesting sort of aspect in society where we provide a forecast for the weather. And we're usually correct about... 98% 98% of the time, okay? Um, now, do the public remember that 98%? No, they don't. They remember the 2% that we got it wrong, okay? And so you can just imagine, you know, in the, in the area of climate science, the, the similar things uh, occur too. You know, uh, science is an evolving thing, and some things we got wrong, uh, in the past because that's the way science advances upon previous knowledge etc and you test the hypotheses etc etc and but the public tend to remember at least i remember you know various legislators saying but 10 years ago you said this right and you, then you're sort of stuck in that sort of problem because they've got your pigeonhole already right why should we believe you for 50 years from now, so to speak. Mm. So it's a a definite thing, and it comes down to individuals, and it comes down to how groups think. Mm. Uh, Let me just reset the scene. We're talking about the March for Science. Uh, Marches for Science happened all across the country on Saturday, and we have with us Rob Gillies, Director of the Climate Center at USU, Rob Davies, physicist and educator, Pat Baumtrussell, interested uh, citizen, and Paul Rogers, Director of Western Aspen Alliance at Utah State uh, University. Let's take another break. Uh, When we come back, I want to talk about future um, you know, looking to the future, had the marches for science, uh, what are the goals in, in your mind? Um, and uh, look for your comment as well. Did you march, and what was your experience, and uh, what are your thoughts on the discussion today? You can reach us uh, one of three ways. Uh, email is upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. You can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can uh, tweet at us. I'm old, and so I don't know the correct terminology, but uh, you can use Twitter. Our handle is at UPR Access. When we come back, we have a uh, comment and a question from Alec in uh, southern Utah, and uh, much more following this break. Pain. What do we do about measuring pain? On the next Radio Lab, we meet a guy who's been stung a thousand times by 150 different insects. Ouch! All so he can better understand pain. Burning pain? So bad. You can't talk. It really hurts. You're sitting there, your forehead is throbbing, and you're taking notes? Well, what else can you do? Join us Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Space will soon be a tourist destination, but don't expect soothing spa treatments. You physically start changing. Your legs get spindly, your face gets puffy, and it takes several days for your body to get the fluids where they should be, mostly out of your body. The perils and joys of the final frontier. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Join us Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, we're talking about the Marches for Science. Happened on Saturday all around the country. And we're asking you if you participated, uh, what your opinion is uh, on these issues that we've been talking about. Uh, we have uh, with us Pat Baum Trussell, an interested citizen, uh, Robert Davies, physicist and educator, Paul Rogers, director of the Western Aspen Alliance at USU, one of the organizers of the Logan March, and Rob Gillies, the director of the Climate Center at Utah State University. Let's begin this last segment of the program with uh, this email from Alec. Alec uh, has emailed us to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. You can as well. We'd love to hear from you. 
or you can call us at 800-826-1495. Here's what Alex says. Considering just how strongly a large portion of this country, and to another extent the rest of the world, has chosen to reject science and reality in general in favor of their chosen fantasy and ignorance, how do we get through to people like that? People who choose to ignore all the facts presented to them. An example, I work in a dinosaur museum. And the sheer number of creationists who come through and feel justified in trying to push their brand of ignorance is astounding. For 99% of the cases, there is no way to convince or educate them. They are set in their ways because somebody told them that this is how it is and no amount of reality or evidence will change them. That's from Alec. Anyway, Paul. Yeah, one thought on the science march, and really backing up here quite a ways, we've, we've kind of uh, talked a little bit about um, different forms of information, and, and that's kind of at the root of where our society is right now, what's believable and what isn't. Um, and, and one of the messages coming out of the March for Science is really a method, a way to approach uh, any piece of information, because uh, we're losing grip of that. I think maybe some of our mainstream society and some of the information sources they look at, so how do you evaluate that? Well, a scientist uh, of any stripe has a method, an approach that's kind of uh, lined out there. And so I, if I have a piece of information come into my mind, um, I'm a doubting person. Uh, uh, and so I'm going to check another piece, and then I'm going to go to a completely different source and maybe talk to some experts in that field. So this uh, idea um, of messaging coming out of the, the uh, science march is, is, wait a minute, let's back up here a minute. Maybe we can provide a, a broad framework for people to evaluate any type of information and not just believe uh, something that seems pretty sensational, but it fits into the category that I want to believe. Maybe I can check a few other sources uh, and, and, and go to something more dependable. An example from my, you know, I read sort of a, a partisan uh, uh, magazine online, and I'm, I'm uh, adept at, at um at um, discerning between those opinion pieces. But if I really want to find out the news on something, I'm going to go over to the AP News site, a reputable site, and maybe check a few other sites as well uh, to corroborate something if it doesn't quite line up with what, what I think might be believable. And, and so in a very broad framework, a, a scientific approach would be helpful to all of society, in my opinion. Mm. But doesn't it come down to the fact that it's indoctrination? I'm throwing that out there that, you know, you have homeschooling and you have religious schools and then, you know, uh, and people are just simply set in their ways and their biases through indoctrination. And, and how do you break that cycle? So, and, and certainly, uh, and, and Rob knows this well, we've, we've both been involved in um, uh, messaging to uh, disparate groups. And so uh, the, the, the person who wrote the email referenced uh, religious groups and, and particularly creationist fundamental Christian groups, we've also got, obviously, the other big uh, sort of group that's that seems to be having <laughs> trouble accepting evidence-based information at the time is, is uh, self-professed or self-identified conservatives. And so one of the, uh, one of the ways to reach these groups is, is to do it through the messenger, the, the appropriate messenger. So, for example, there are a number of, of quite prominent conservatives who have you know, bona fide conservative credentials who nevertheless get, for example, climate change. And so they are turning out to be more effective messengers for their communities than, say, uh, Rob Gillis or I would be. Um, we have also scientists who are evangelicals. Catherine Hayhoe comes to mind, and she has proved to be much more adept at messaging to the evangelical community than, again, someone like I would be. And we need the same sorts of things in the business community. We've got uh, the Michael Bloombergs of the world who are really messaging strongly to the business community. So it, 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 that's, I think, one of the biggest strategies is to find members of those groups that can serve as effective messengers, bring them up to speed on the information so that then they can figure out how to put it in front of their communities. Mm. Yeah, Catherine Hayhoe, by the way, has been on this program. She's, she's part of that community, right? And then mm -hmm. she's also a scientist, so she can bridge that, I guess, bridge that, that divide. Um, we just have about uh, five minutes left. Uh, I want to go around the room and, and look to the future. So uh, a lot of energy, marches around the country. Let me start with Pat Bomtrosso. You mentioned earlier um, education. You're concerned about K through 12 and, and, and how kids are being educated specific, uh, specifically in science. So is that, is that more funding needed? What, how to fix that problem? I think... Uh I think that fun, more funding for science and education both would be a wonderful thing. And uh, I don't think it would cost that much. Uh, I think it would be, but, you know, that's, that's, it's, that's my political thing. I, 
you know, I'd say leave, leave, a, leave off a couple of the bombers and put the money into science and education. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think um, I was really encouraged by hearing the at the Logan March, I was encouraged by hearing the high school students and um, some university students speak, uh, and they spoke they spoke to the future. They they were passionate, they were fact-based, and they were going to be approaching their uh, political leaders, people that could do something about what they were interested in. Um, they had both sides, they were on both sides of the of the spectrum. They uh, they were passionate about a, a communication, and they were also super interested in science. Mm. Uh, so just a minute to each for the, the rest of the gentlemen. Uh, so Rob uh, Davies. Well, I, I, I think there's a lot of energy that's um, come into the whole, uh, this whole issue. And certainly six months ago, if things have gone different, differently politically here in the United States, I don't think we'd be at this at this place. So um, if there's one uh, effect, I think has been to a real uh, quantum leap in in energizing um, people in in standing up for information based uh, policy making. And I'll say that even though we talk about uh, challenges that we're facing at the federal level, certainly, but there is a lot happening just beneath the waterline, uh, particularly with cities, uh, both in this country and or, and around the world. And so, a lot of energy is is um, percolating up to the top, and and we're starting to see the results of that. So, hmm. so yes, I think I think a lot is a good is happening. Rob Gillies. Well, it all comes down to education, for one thing. Uh, Education is the way forward, and education on all fronts, science, literature, etc., etc. I mean, Rob makes a good point that really, uh, too often in the past, things have worked on a a top-down sort of system, and it's sort of reversing into a bottom-up, and that's really the way things should come about. Mm. So hopefully people in the science community and people who understand the importance of science are starting to uh, proceed in that direction. And uh, Paul Rogers, we'll give you the next last word. We have a, a short email from uh, Carl. We'll give him the last word, but next last word. So I'm going to jump off of uh, mm-hmm. what Rob Gillies just said is, is outreach is critical, and it's becoming in a more formal way in science critical. But in the past year, I spoke at, to first graders at a Montessori school. I spoke to the uh, state prisoners. I spoke to the Salt Lake, Salt Lake County Jail. I sp- I'm speaking in a couple of weeks to the uh, local high school and to several technical societies, as well as a society for science journalism. So as many uh, uh, outreach mechanisms that we can get there, I think the, uh, the catchphrase is, you know, get out of the lab and take your science to society. And Pat? And it's not just for uh, science experts also. Um, it's for every citizen can write and email and call their political representatives. Mm. Yes. That's, yeah, a, get, that's a big way of outreach. Get involved. Get involved, yeah. Uh, so we'll give the last word to Carl, who's emailed us. He said, I attended the March for Science. I was surprised and excited with the size of the crowd. I never expected that many people in Logan would be willing to participate. On one hand, the election of Donald Trump has been a wake-up call for all concerned citizens. Maybe we can come together and move forward. That's a good place to end the program. Thanks for participating on the program. We've had uh, Pat bohm Trussell, uh, Paul Rogers, Rob Davies, and Rob Gillies. Thanks to all of you. Thank you. And Thank you. Uh, thanks to all who participated. Uh, next, uh, or tomorrow, we are going to continue our series, Our Favorite Books, and uh, we're going to jump into the world of Jane Austen. For all Jane Austen fans, and who isn't, um, I, I'll reveal my hand. I'm a huge Jane Austen fan. We're going to have some fun tomorrow. Uh, that's tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. Social Sciences at Utah State University. This is U-